Welcome to The Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. We go behind the scenes and learn all about these amazing artists and creatives who bring the music that we love. And at the same time, we help out charity. For more information, go to the website, theoriginaldoll.com. While you're there, join my Patreon community. Big shout out to my Patreon patrons. You all rock. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, the.original.doll, and rate the show and tell your friends about it. My name is James Rodriguez. This is The Original Doll Iconography. Today's episode, Where Are You Now? And we have two returning guests, Britney Spears' A&R guy, Steve Lunt, and music producer, Remixed by Nick. We're going to be talking about Janet Jackson's Where Are You Now? and Britney Spears' Where Are You Now? Rewinding back 30 years ago, okay, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Janet Jackson's Janet Period album being released. One of the songs I wanted to talk about because of what it did for this album is amazing. That song is Where Are You Now? Now, many people may say, James, I know some of the singles from the Janet album. You know, If, That's the Way Love Goes, Throb, Whoops Now, so on and so forth. This album, Janet was able to have songs that were B-sides, that were hidden tracks, that were album cuts, that were able to chart back in the 90s. Where Are You Now is one of those. Because of the Patreon supporters, thank you so much. You all have been supporting the show, and I've been able to get so many great resources. I've been able to go purchase old magazines and things like that and actually get the research done and have the facts to show that Janet's legacy matters, and she is one of a kind. Now, Janet Jackson's Where Are You Now, which was an album track, this is what's amazing. It is Janet Jackson's third longest-running song on Billboard's radio songs. You all know Janet Jackson has a ton of songs, whether it's All For You, Feedback, Runaway, Scream, all of those songs. But here's what's amazing. It being Janet Jackson's third longest-running song in the charts, and this song, Where Are You Now?, is right behind Together Again and the Janet track Again. That's right. So in the top three longest running songs of Janet Jackson's career on Billboard Radio, Where Are You Now? An album cut is number three. The song would peak at number 66 on the Billboard R&B hip hop airplay song and would chart there for about a month and a half. It would also chart on iTunes this decade in the 2020s at number three on iTunes in Norway, number four on the hip-hop rap charts in Singapore. Since 2019, Where Are You Now would chart in over six countries on iTunes. Now, many of you may say, James, is iTunes still relevant? It is. And if you've been listening to previous episodes, we're a show about advocating for songwriters, producers, creatives, purchasing the physical copy, purchasing the digital song in iTunes, that is the best way to support your favorite artists, songwriters, producers, and more. When we talk about 
the fans that love, whether it's Britney Spears or Janet Jackson, getting these certifications? How can we make sure she's getting certified? iTunes is one of the best ways. Because the RIAA here in the United States that offers and gives the gold certification, the platinum certification for singles and albums, here's what it is. In the United States, as of 2023, in order for you to have a gold single, it has to sell 500,000 units, or it has to reach 500,000 units. Platinum, 1 million. Diamond, 10 million. Here's what's interesting. When you purchase a song on iTunes, when you purchase that permanent digital download, That counts as one unit for certification purposes, which means if you have 500,000 people that each purchase that one song, that song is going to be gold certified in the United States. And there's a whole formality behind that, but just generically speaking. Now, this is what's interesting. You say, well, I listen on Spotify or Apple podcast. I listen, you know, or I watch YouTube videos. Well, for the RIAA, it takes 150 on-demand audio or video streams to equal one unit for certification purposes. So you wanting to help out your favorite artist, you either purchase the song, get one unit, or you end up watching or listening to 150 times, okay? Now many people may say, put it on a playlist. No, they have all of those programs now that figure out when people are trying to cheat. Now, if you know anything about the RIAA, you know that things change all the time. They may say Spotify free accounts count for this much, but if you pay, it counts for more. It changes all the time. But this is why iTunes is important. The other thing is when we talk about Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, people are still choosing to use their hard-earned money to purchase the song, not just streaming randomly. Purchasing on iTunes is something that is directly consumer-driven. I am choosing to spend my money there, not I was listening to, you know, a radio station and the song popped up or this playlist that Spotify curated because they're putting that out there for you to listen to these 12 songs. This is 100% in your control. So that's why iTunes is important. But back to where are you now? This was an album track, an album cut, if you will. This song was able to do something that a ton of other songs that were physical singles were not able to do. I wanted to point this out because Janet Jackson and Britney Spears have both had careers where they not only had success with physical purchasing, but also with digital. We talk now about how on the Billboard 100, any song can ultimately, you know, be popped up on there. You know, you have an album by this artist that sells... 250,000 copies. Chances are most of those songs are going to end up on the Billboard 100. But what's interesting is before, especially during the time that Britney Spears and Janet Jackson in the 90s, the song, in order for it to chart on the Billboard Hot 100, it had to meet specific criteria. It had to be a physical, you know, copy that was released. It had to have this. It couldn't be just radio. Then as time changed, it started evolving. Then you had some of those Radio-only songs, not physical singles, those radio-only songs were able to chart. But now, this is a completely different ballgame. But I point out the success of Janet Jackson and Britney Spears and so many others when we, as fans of their music, had to go to the store to purchase the album, to purchase the single. And it was not guaranteed that your record shop had that song. So I never want people to overlook the importance and how truly Fans ate it up. They had to make time out of their day to go purchase it. You didn't know if the store had it or not. This was a different time. 
But so Janet Jackson having an album cut that did well and became her third longest running song on the Billboard radio songs charts is amazing. This is Where Are You Now? And check out these Janet Jackson harmonies. Shout out to Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and Janet Jackson. Now, many of you may say, James, can you talk about more of the current radio history for this song? Here, I got you. In just the past six years, this song, Where You Now, has been added into radio stations in Georgia and Maryland. And since 1998, okay, so I'm just taking the last quarter of a century, the radio station market that has given the most love to Janet Jackson's Where Are You Now is a radio station in Washington, D.C. Now, I want to ask you this. Send me a DM, or if you're on Patreon, send me a message. Did you ever hear Where Are You Now on the radio? Let me know. And if you're a Janet Jackson fan, check out my interviews with her producer, songwriters, and more. Just go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, scroll through the list, and don't forget to give us a rating and tell friends and fans and family about it. Now, on to the next song. Where are you now? What have you found? Where is your heart when I'm not around? I would like to welcome back Remix by Nick. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's great to be here as always. Today, I want to talk about your remix of Where Are You Now? Because you took this song and you really made it your own. So let's rewind back. What made you choose this song to remix? Um, well, I got lucky enough to get the the vocal recording session to it. So that that's always a natural starting point. But ballads are kind of, I, I like ballads. And since I'm not a real musician, I just pretend um, they're, they're harder for me to work on than, than a pop track or a dance track. So I wanted to challenge myself a little bit somehow and see what I could do with it. So initially, one of the first things I did was it, it, it was initially a full on production. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I did here, the final thing is literally just my friend Zekon playing the piano. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, because I can't really play. So, you know, I, I reach out to the people who know know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, put on my creative director hat and, uh, you know, he, he played and he killed it. And that was, it was originally going to be part of a full on production. It just, it didn't really, it didn't feel right because I, I don't have the choir vocals. So when the song gets bigger towards the end, um, everything I had going on, it just didn't really, it, it didn't sit right. Mm-hmm. So I started, I kept trying to toy with it and mess with it however I could. And I just, I don't have that type of skill to make that work. Um, So I was like, screw it. Let's just take it all back. Let's leave it just the piano. And it just, it kind of came to life. I'm like, wow, I cut together. I I cut together a few alternate pieces of the vocal here and there. So there's some little surprises for people, but it just, 
it really came to life in a different way. It was much simpler. It seemed to really fit the song in a, in a different way. And it has more of that like intimate, you know, small club thing, which I always find, I, I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I always think it would be interesting for an artist, you know, a larger artist like Britney, or if like Michael Jackson ever did something where they did a smaller show instead of trying to go bigger and bigger and more. And that's just kind of where my head went with this one in the end, which is like piano, vocal, and it worked. What I liked is that it was like, to your point, it was like this live version of the song that I really liked because I always think these artists, just in general, it's so cool to think, what would that be like if it was a smaller stripped down, you know, club feel, like the old school music club feel, which I mean, I just love and shout out to my Patreon patrons are the ones who love, love those kind of ideas and everything. I think this is cool kind of insight. So let me ask you this then. What was the hardest part about doing this? Like what part of this production took the longest? Because we know everything isn't as simple as you put this up here, then you put this underneath and call it a day. So what was the hardest part? Yeah, the the hardest part was actually figuring out all the chords and where they went and what would sound good with her vocal when I was just trying to mess around with the keyboard myself, just trying to figure out whatever I could with my limited skills. Limited skills. That's ridiculous. Oh, they're limited. I just know how to work around. I can, I can just work around my limitations. That was the hardest part because in my head, I can hear these things like, oh, that would sound cool. This, you know, if the, if the note goes up here or this chord comes in and it kind of brings it to a different place. And, you know, I couldn't get that out of, out of the piano. This is why I went to Zcon. <laughs> That's why he's the guy I was able to, you know, I had a basic track. It it was done. It was, I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. Um, so that's when I sent it to him and let him do his thing and kind of expand upon my ideas. Cause that was really just the structure of the chords and where they went. That's, that was the hardest part for me is to figure that out. So that was my question is, was there sheet music or anything that you had or was it just basically all by replaying and by ear? Yeah, I was just I was just going by ear. And what made it harder was that the final track is actually sped up a little bit. So the pitch isn't perfect. So I was like slowing it down a little bit, trying to see like, okay, what where does it match? What can I do? Um, which is fine. I mean, a, a lot of Michael Jackson songs were sped up. So I'm used to slowing it down and figuring, you know, figuring out what I can. Um, but it was interesting how that speeding it up on the final master gave it such a different energy. So it was weird to slow it down. I felt like I wasn't able to match that, that energy, especially without having the the choir vocals and those backing vocals to really like carry it all and make it bigger towards the end. So that, that was just, that was such the, the challenge. And again, why we just ended up with the piano. So now when does the public get to hear this full version of the song and how do they find you to take a listen? So this mix is going to get uploaded to YouTube on September 29th. Remixed by Nick, all one word, YouTube, Instagram, all your favorite internet spots. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being here again today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure as always.
Everyone, I'd like to welcome back to the show our next guest, who has become an icon himself. We have returning guest and friend of mine, Steve Lunt. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, Jimmy. It's It's been a lot of fun to actually go through all of these songs and the stories behind it, because I think so many people have forgotten about some of these songs, and not in a bad way, but now with streaming, it's just usually like the Oops album. We're going to just have Oops or Stronger. That's it. Now people are actively going back and falling in love and re-listening to the songs, which I think is great. Today, I want to talk about a song that actually has a different story. It was included on the Oops, I Did It Again album, but was another one of those tracks that was recorded during the baby era. And today we're going to talk about Where Are You Now? Steve, let's rewind back. Some people may say, wait, this was on Oops, not on Baby. Can you clear up all that stuff for us as to when this was recorded and all that fun stuff? Yeah, I don't have an exact recording date itself, but I can give you the window uh, that it was pretty much the window it was done in. Because I went back through my paperwork um, in my messy files in the basement. And uh, <laughs> and I've seen uh, memos. Um, there was one uh, which said th- that I was... Uh, memoing Clive Calder, the head of Jive Records, saying that um saying that Where Are You Now was in the process of being finished. And that was on that was June 1998. And then I've got another one which which when I sent Larry Rudolph a cassette of all things um <laughs> of uh of the of what we'd done so far and what was you know nearly finished. Just the basic status report to Larry. It had that as being uh it said that it was uh, finished, it was mixed, it was recorded and mixed. And that was dated July 1998. So so, so obviously it was recorded before June and it was mixed in between June and uh, July. So that's as close as I can get, but that's definitely before Baby came out. And it was, um, uh, what was the release date of Baby, James? You know that. January, of, January of 1999. There you go. So it's well before, it's like six months before. And... This is something that I think is interesting, and and you can maybe even clear this up for some of the listeners, because so many people said, wait, doesn't every song get mixed? Uh, wait, how do you know if it's going to be included on the album or not? Do you know what I mean? Like, at what point do you go, this is a strong contender for a song versus these are just kind of extra songs lying around? You don't really know that until after it's been mixed, because so much can change from the rough mix or, you know... For instance, they can give you a rough mix of the song and it sounds okay, it sounds pretty good, but it doesn't sound like a hit. And then you say, okay, work on it, give me the full mix, you know, by next week, whatever. And then they do that and they add a couple of instruments and they add some harmonies and everything, you know, to what they had before. And suddenly it's a different record altogether. And then you say, okay, this is, this is, um, you know, this is a good contender. Um, So you don't like to count anything out until after the rough mix, but you do know, you usually know sort of at least sort of 70% if it's going to be just from listening to the rough mix, because you can tell what the song is, lyric, Mm -hmm. the melody, the groove, you know, most of that is intact. And so then, you know, sometimes that extra 20, 30% can come from the added on stuff after the, after the rough mix that they put on the final mix, but it doesn't usually, I would say, you know, very seldom does it really change the, uh, your gut feeling Mm -hmm. from the beginning, at least with me, I can normally tell from the song itself. And then for you then, because this is something everyone, this is what's been amazing, is we are very paper trail heavy. 
<laughs> there's faxes, <laughs> there's emails, CDs, yeah. CDRs and everything, which what I think is cool is that the listeners and myself being a fan of the music is releasing the evolution of these songs. Because when you look at what Eric Foster White did for the, you know, his chunk of it, then Max being there, that you see this almost two separate albums being created and then ultimately it becoming the baby album. So when I looked and I was given years back the CDR, the Virgin CDR, which showed where are you now included on the Baby One More Time album, but it was still tentatively like the Britney Spears album. So can you talk a little bit about the fact that the song kind of was disappeared from the ultimate, the, the release of Baby One More Time? Right. It, it was originally in my um, in my original um uh, track listing for the for the baby album mm-hmm. it was in that um for a worldwide release it was on for the us canada europe and southeast asia and then at some point and i haven't got the date in front of me um but at mm-hmm. some point that changed um and where are you now came off and um i will be there is that is that mm-hmm. the one? Yeah, I yes. think I will be there went on in its place. I think, I mean, I can't remember exactly why that would be. I think, but my gut tells me Clive and myself would have looked at where are you now and said, this is really, really strong, but maybe it's a bit more mature than we want Britney to be on the first album. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a slow song, whereas um, I will be there is up-tempo and younger and just had a, you know, a lighter vibe to it so mm-hmm. i think that that was most probably the reason it was most probably a tempo thing so that the because neither of them were going to be singles i think off the you know would have been singles off the off the baby album so so then you're looking at the album as a whole as a as a as a you know a work and and in that case uh you'd be looking at tempo keys you know different things to make sure the album flowed nicely and it gave across the general uh, flavor and spirit that you wanted and uh i think well obviously we made up our minds that i will be there would be a better choice for baby than uh than where are you now well and i remember playing the cdr where i just because i mean as you know i'm a, a liner geek and i'm an old school play the album you, from beginning to are? end <laughs> and... what a shock <laughs> <laughs> when, when it's being able to play that and it was really that was this was still at a time where there was kind of a story it wasn't just a bunch of singles thrown in an album but i also think with where are you now on like the version that i have it's it ended beyond slow to me it was very yeah. heavy with the swedish upbeat fun ridiculous craziness because then it's i will still love you where are you now email my heart the beat goes on right they're it, all yeah. slower and you start off the whole album with baby crazy sometimes soda pop which i love soda pop i also think that having a bump of energy to your point kind of that continual flow that energy going on i think that that was a wise decision and there's so many people that say oh britney's voice on the oops album with where are you now james you should talk about how much she grew and i didn't want to say anything but it's that song yeah. is from <laughs> the baby album yeah yeah I also think it was kind of interesting because the sonics behind it for Where Are You Now, something that I've been asked, you can as a producer, as a recording artist and everything is, this song had these snaps in there and it gave a 
kind of a different vibe than the other songs on the album for Oops as well. What do snaps, finger snaps do for a song? How do they help a song? Um, well, for those who would like to listen to to where they are in the song, they start in the first chorus when she goes into where are you now? But you can hear the finger snaps come in. It's the sound like that. And it's just finger snaps. Now, what finger snaps have traditionally done in music is they add sort of a, an intimacy because, you know, they became pretty popular in the 50s for a lot of the doo-wop and acapella groups in America. Um, was very rhythm oriented you know even though it could be a cappella and 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 in the black in black music back then and still to today but back then uh the backbeat was really you know the the key the key beat so so it would be like you know so it'd be on the two and the four in the, in the bar so but it adds what it does it adds like an intimacy um and for it's there are very few things like it because it sounds organic um sounds like people are really singing and snapping it sounds like they're in the same room now when you want to have a lighter backbeat than just a drum like a snare drum hitting the backbeat there's a few different options you can do a side stick on the on the snare which is just the stick hitting the rim of the snare uh which which gives a, a nice sound too but it sounds kind of adult a lot of the time um and or you can use brushes there's other ways you can do a lighter touch on the backbeat but there's nothing quite like snaps because that means you can do snaps without introducing any drums at all so mm. it really gives a groove a groove to the song without giving away the kitchen sink that's going to come later when the when the drums come in um interestingly enough i listened to it today and uh the snaps i said they were organic the snaps on where are you now sound to me like they're um they're not actually organic they sound like a sample <laughs> from from some uh, drum machine or something that's been triggered because each one is I is identical and as you can tell if you just try snapping your fingers you think it's identical but it's not each time there's a variation especially if there's more than one person you get like a you know like that that sort of flaming type it's very seldom you get where it sounds like one that was two but it sounds like it's mm. one because they're so together and that's kind of what it's like on where are you now so but the the essence of what i'm saying is still true it's that they give an intimate sound which fits is perfectly fitting with a vocal in that because in the beginning um it's very close up it just feels very warm and and, and tender um, and it's only when it gets to the uh, when the key change and it gets louder and uh, and bigger and more dramatic towards the end that that changes. But yeah, that's what they're used for. Well, and what I like is it sonically is so different than anything from you know the baby album. And the funny thing is going onto the Oops album with like let's say Lucky, which has that retro feel. To me, yeah. that's like the sister. Do you know what I mean? Where it's kind of that throwback nostalgic sound? Because I think yeah. I said it's like the snapping always reminds me of like the doo-wop swaying side to side. And yeah, I think I was, I remember thinking I was shocked to learn that it was like Max Martin because at the time of, you know, getting the the CD, it's of course, you know, Max Martin, Baby One More Time, all those things. And then thinking, wait, where are you now? Is him as well? Because it was so different, because it wasn't this, to me, this in-your-face Swedish sound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was a forerunner to some of the stuff he did, like 
show me the meaning of being lonely or something like that for the Backstreet Boys, which has that same mm. like full dramatic sort of ballad sound. I mm. think he was like the forerunner to that in his production style. I mean, you have to remember Max was evolving too. It wasn't like he started off with a full toolkit here. You know, he was mm -hmm. gathering spanners and hammers as he went, you know, and learning how to do <laughs> things. Um, and, and so that was maybe his first, uh, you know, entry into doing something that that straight and that uh, dramatic, which mm -hmm. later, as I said, came to him to bear fruit with the Backstreet Boys, I believe. Well, and I think what's what's awesome is to be able to go through the different songs that we've been able to go through with you and kind of hear these stories in the production, because this is a completely different, you know, story and situation as whether it's born to make you happy or crazy or oops. And I think at the time, I think it, Britney and Backstreet and Sync, all of them doing ballads. I always talk about like the MTV TRL days where it was like, here's the big upbeat song as the first single. Then we're going to slow it down a bit for the second. Then we're going to bring you back up for the third. So always having with Max, Rami, all of them always having a, a versatile group of songs because of course they'd want hey i would love the first you know the first single the second single third single so on and so forth right now looking back what do you think where are you now as you being the creative you know you being a creative person a and r what do you think where are you now gave to the britney discography that maybe she didn't have at that or how else did this help britney's discography for having where are you now included <laughs> Hopping out for a quick second, don't forget if you have a letter of love, a compliment, a story, a connection to a song, go to theoriginaldoll.com, scroll down to the bottom, put your name, where you're from, what the song is, and your connection to the song. And who knows, you may hear that letter of love on an upcoming episode. And while you're there, join the Patreon community because of you all, Patreon patrons, you all rock. We're keeping this show going. And if you're a fan of Britney Spears merchandise, we have official Britney Spears merchandise on theoriginaldial.com. We've had so many great things refurbished so that we can keep nostalgia going and love all these great pieces. Now back to the show. Don't forget, follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. What do you think Where Are You Now gave to the Britney discography that maybe she didn't have at that? or how else did this help Britney's discography for having Where Are You Now included? Um, I think for the for the reasons I gave, that it's uh, it's dramatic and it's uh, more of a traditional big ballad type of thing, starts off very gently and intimate and then develops into something, you know, quite dramatic with some great vocals, ad-libs from, from Britney, you know, towards the end. And then, it, and then it goes back down into being a very gentle ending to the song. And again, that didn't really fit on the first album. Mm -hmm. that so in that way it was a bit of ahead of its time but i think it added added a another color to the britney palette if you like because even on oops i don't think there was another song like that on oops either i mean uh correct me if i'm wrong i don't have the, the track list in front of me but it seems to be kind of one of a kind of that type of song yeah britney. because yeah when you look at the 12 basic songs and basic in the sense of the the general ones that the universe the universal release, not the bonus tracks, is you had Where Are You Now, When Your Eyes Say It, and Dear Diary. Those were really the, oh, mm -hmm. and Don't Let Me Be the Last to Know. Those were really the ballads, and none of those are the, you know, mid-tempo or anything. None of those sounded 
like that throwback sound, you know, don't let me last. It was very muttling, very muttling. Dear Diary was very, it's funny, Dear Diary to me felt like such a more juvenile song than Where Are You Now? Yeah. And well, that's it, because Brittany, you know, was was a co-writer and and was instrumental in the lyrical, um, you know, aspect of it. And I so I think that gives it immediately gives it, mm-hmm. you know, a teenage thing that she was feeling at the time. Um, you know, it was just a natural thing. Whereas Where Are You Now was obviously written by adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, although the the theme of the song can be. It's 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 a bit more wistful and a bit. Mm-hmm. you know um it's not quite so literal you know it's like where are you now it's got a it's got a feel to it which feels more like an adult singing it to some degree i mean she doesn't sound like an adult singing it but the but from the lyrical content point of view feels a bit more adult than dear diary well and i think what's been amazing is to be able to talk to you about the creation of these songs the choosing of these songs and when we talked about whether it was you got it all uh even the original jets version how you had so many young storytellers, so many of these young singers, you know, Britney Spears still had the ability to convey a story that it wasn't this robotic, I'm not selling it because, you know, me and, 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 you know, Britney Spears being like the same age, the whole time I was like, Oh, I feel you. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't know what, we don't know what this broken love is, (laughs) but at that moment you swore it was the most genuine feeling because you know, our brain wasn't fully developed, so it seemed like the end of the world and everything. But I think so. Your brain it, is fully de- your brain is fully developed now. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, I'm still a man, so it's still not developed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Good point. Good point. But I think, I think looking at all of those those songs and just thinking, there are those people that are storytellers, and so many of the producers songwriters that I've talked to always said. Britney's ability to convey a story. I mean, the fact that people thought, wait, did this young girl write this song? No, this was written by two older men. Did a right. young girl, do you know what I mean? Like it was still well, I, the I think because the, the songs, I think because the songs were age appropriate for each stage during her career. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, so so when you hear you got it all, um, even though she didn't write it, you felt like there was this like innocence about it. She always sounded, she always had this sort of innocent sound to her voice, which made her sound like she was telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, and that was, I think that was what made it sound genuine. And I think again, harping back to where are you now? That's most probably the reason why it didn't work for the first album, because it just didn't seem quite age appropriate. It sounded a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. I know that um, you know one kiss uh, from you, which is the one that I wrote and produced for Britney. That, that that I wrote and produced for the first album that only made it onto the second. Lyrically, was more suited, I believe, for the first album, even though it didn't make its way onto the first album. It it felt lyrically, you know. And I wrote it. I mean, I, you know, I was a, a grown man writing this thing, and I was trying to put myself back into teenage shoes which is <laughs> really quite difficult but uh i was trying to put myself in in her shoes which makes it even more difficult <laughs> but, but the songs but the lyrics were were innocent and sunny and and full of hope you know that's the way i tried to to write it for mm-hmm. her but the lyrics for that were more appropriate for the baby album than the oops album i believe 
this is what I love. And everyone have no fear. We have more with Steve. We've basically gone through so many of these Britney songs and so many people are like, James, we need them all in one episode. It's like, we don't have enough digital space to release it all in one episode. <laughs> and we try to keep each song kind of on its own and honor them separately because, and Steve, you've been a part of so many collaborations is each of these songs is, is somebody's special work of art, their, their child, if you will. And trying to throw it all in one episode, it just minimizes all of these because there's so many different reasons for this song being on there, this song not being on there. I think it's good too, that you're going into each song separately because, you know, there's something historic about the, about Britney's career, you know, her being the icon mm -hmm. that she is now. And, um, you know, and uh, I mean, I don't mean to be dark about this, but when I'm dead and buried, I don't want the stories to uh, to disappear with me too. So I think it's good mm -hmm. to go in as much detail as I can, as I can, you know, muster up from the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, and thanks to you, when you make me go through all my notes that are <laughs> that are still unorganized in the basement, um, <laughs> I think it, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's good because it's good to get the information out, and you're the only person I'm really telling this to, so in well certainly in this sort of detail mm -hmm. well so, and, and well and the cool thing is you've been so open about all of this because it's really about the creative process and how this iconography was created and that so many of these fun stories i mean there are times where you've brought up like silly stories that you just start laughing as if it just happened again you know that's that's the best part about it or when I'm, I'm talking to Jason Bloom and he's like, you know, I had to tell Brittany, stop singing Dear Diary like that. She was saying, Dear Diarrhea. <laughs> it's like, and it's stuff like yeah, that. that we that's a great story. We wouldn't know about, but I love it. All right, everyone have no fear. We have more with Steve coming back very, very soon. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome.